Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Welcome to the RPGbot.podcast. I'm Randall James, your carnivorous kaiju, and with me is Tyler. Hi, everybody. And Random. Good evening. Welcome, welcome. All right, Tyler, what are we going to do this week? We're going to talk about kaijus. We're going to talk about the kaiju. We're going to talk about the Tarask. It is the biggest, it is the baddest, it is the highest CR in the Monster Manual, and we're going to have a good discussion about all kinds of cool stuff about it. We're going to talk about the history of the Tarask, both real world because there is some real world Tarask stuff and in the game and then we're going to kill it at level one. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah, the first time I ever heard about the Tarask was when we had Colby on a few weeks ago. They talked about yeah, their experiences with it. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this. Random? Well, I have never had cause to actually end up in an encounter with a Tarask. It's practically its own running joke in D&D. It is one of the original memes Second only to rocks fall, everyone dies is, oh no, it's a Tarrasque. It's going to be real interesting to see because most of my experience spending dozens of hours memorizing the stat block is from 3.5. So I'm interested to see uh, what all Tyler has looked into for 5th edition. How far back does this go and, and why? Well, let me uh, let me take you on a real wild tale. If you open up the Wikipedia page for the Tarrasque, the original story of the task, the Tarrasque goes back to 12th century France. I might be getting the year on that one wrong. So uh, double check the internet. But it goes back to France where, you know, at the time, medieval Europe was super into their like chimeric monsters where everything was like, let's slap like eight beasts together. And that's a new folklore. And inevitably, as all of those stories end with, some saint comes along and either stabs it to death or splashes it with holy water. Either way, in this case, it was the uh, holy water option. Saint starts with an A. I should have written this down. Finds the Tarrasque by a riverbank, splashes it with holy water, shows it the cross. And it's like, okay, I guess I'm a dog now or something like that. If you look at the art on the Wikipedia page, there's some really, really stunning pieces. There, There's one where she's just standing with it on a leash and it has a dude like just legs hanging out of its mouth. And she just looks like I'm so done with this again. OK, I'm sorry. I just I have to take a second here because this suddenly makes something make a lot more sense. I'm going to switch nerddoms for a moment into the fate nerddom and Martha, as in Saint Martha. One of the versions of her, her ultimate attack is summons a Tarrasque and she basically kick flips it into the enemy. <laughs> and this suddenly makes so much more sense. So thank you. Okay. I, I imagine that must have been very jarring to not have the context. So St. Martha uses holy water to befriend 
gargantuan monster and feed sinners to it? Is that? That feels right. Okay. That feels period appropriate. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to post a thing in our group chat and I'm sorry for the clicking noises, but everybody, I just want you to look at this picture and just enjoy it for a minute and tell me what you see. <laughs> for folks at home, we, we've been sent an outdoor, I believe, marble sculpture. This is maybe the most cursed statue I've ever seen. <laughs> what is its face and why? And why does it have six legs? <laughs> so it looks like King Koopa has two front legs and like a cat face. No, that's like a human face. Like weirdly Asian features. <laughs> weirdly Asian feet. But then like maybe shade it 20% towards pug. <laughs> oh my goodness. Pug. It's, it's I not did good. not see that one coming. Yeah. And all it, right. Maybe an armadillo <laughs> tail, which I'm not even sure if armadillos live in Europe during the 12th century. So that's a whole nother. <laughs> Do they now? I mean, we can make that happen. The, the, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, um, we, we needed to do the history on the real life fake monster before we talk about the fake life yeah. fake, fake monster. So, so the old bestiaries, like way back when there was a whole period of time where bestiaries were a thing where people would just make up monsters and be like, yes, this is super legit. And they were super into the chimeric monsters. And that's where we got a lot of things like chimeras and unicorns and manticores. So basically, you just take like the scariest things and it's, it's like a child just like, oh, yeah, the coolest thing from this one animal is on this monster. So it has the face of a lion, the mane of a horse for some reason, six bear-like legs. And depending on the source, the back nonsense is described as a double tortoise shell with spikes all over it and then a long tail like a serpent <laughs> okay now that you say that i'm looking at it it mm -hmm. yeah this is wonderful folks at home go look at the wikipedia article that's that's the advice it is a tortoise shell that is made of tortoise shells exactly and covered in spikes because why not so so that is the real world origin of the tarasque now how that makes it into dungeons and dragons i'm Honestly, not entirely certain. Plenty of other real world legends have made their way into D&D. So that's not super surprising. So the Trask makes its first appearance in D&D in the Monster Manual 2 in first edition AD&D. And since then, it has been this nigh unkillable legendary monstrosity that has stomped its way across editions for goodness. We're looking like 50 years now. How old is D&D? Goodness. Let's ask the question, like in the original literature in Dungeons and Dragons, so AD&D, what was the mythos of the Trask there? Did Martha also show up? <laughs> I don't think so. So th this gets a little outside of the things that I know within D&D, but it's basically been just like, we need a big bad kaiju to pop up random places, eat mountains, and take no shits. Well, I can't tell you all the way back to... AD&D 2nd Edition, I can tell you about 3.x. Let me tell you about the magical thing that is the setting of Spelljammer. In the same way that Pathfinder is the Pepsi to D&D's Coke, <laughs> Spelljammer is the, the sprite which spawned the Sierra Mist of Starfinder. In 3.x, you have this setting where you can have all these wonderful different planets, and so that allowed them to create the planet of Falks, F-A-L-X, Everything sentient on Fox lives deep underground, and it's mostly mind flayers. And that is because the surface of Fox is inhabited by tens of thousands of Tarasks. 
it is in fact the place it is theorized to be the place where Tarasks are from. It is their home planet. And on each individual world where there is the Tarask, that is just one of the Fox Tarasks that has somehow been put there because cosmic accident, God was bored, or the final justification for anything you need in D&D, a wizard did it. <laughs> I, I mean, there is an item in, in Icewind Dale called a scroll of Tarask summoning. So there's there's your answer. There's your answer. Yeah, I, I don't think you should practice with that scroll very often. <laughs> Wait, so, so Fox is a planet, and on the planet Fox, the core of it is filled with mind flayers. And the surface is filled with Tarasks. Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, so the, what, the, the greatest thing to me is that, right, the mind players are, are afraid to go to the surface. I mean, I don't know that they're afraid necessarily, although I think they levitate. So spoilers. <laughs> we'll get to why that's a problem here in a moment. Not the Tarasks, the mind flayers levitate. The mind flayers. Just to be yes. clear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other level of terrifying. Yeah, because mind players would normally do live underground, right? Like they're an underdark yeah. type. Yeah, okay. They do. Yeah, they're, they're an underdark type. A, a Tarask is largely immune to a lot of the stuff that makes them so horrifying. You know, a, a standard mind flayer by itself is like a, like it's a CR like 10, like somewhere between 8 and 12, I think. I don't remember, somewhere in remember there. exactly. It's, it's challenging, but it, it mostly it's, you know, whole shtick is like, I'm going to stun you and suck your brains out. Well, that doesn't work if you're a kaiju. No matter how many of them work together, it just doesn't care. So yes, that's that's why they live deep underground is because a planet full of terrasks. Wow. Yeah. If ever you needed an excuse to live in a cave, there you go. Nice. Okay. And so yeah, the not what's the right way to put it. Not every story has to say that there is this planet fox. Some of the mythos is just that I don't know. We live here and there's a terrasque sometimes, and sometimes it kills everything. Right. That's about right. Pathfinder's setting Galarian has a really good take on the Tarask. In Galarian, there is a deity-type creature called Rovagug, who is the god of destruction. And basically, at the beginning of time, all the other gods were like, we can't have you messing up existence. So we're going to chain you in place and bury you underneath the North Pole like some kind of messed up Santa. And Rovagug famously into just wrecking stuff bits of his body fall off and turn into kaijus the biggest of which is the tarask which is nicknamed nicknamed in galarian the apocalypse engine which if you ever were going to have a nickname pretty good waiting on a tax return hopefully it ends up in your hands fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30 percent in 2023 if you're in a bind this tax season lifelock can help our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. 
the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. So I want to talk about the Trask stats a little bit, like if we can get into the mechanics. So random, I think you know the third edition version of the Trask a bit better than me. You want to go into that for me? Yeah, I would love to. So the stats on this thing are ridiculous, right? Like, is it a CR20? Sure. But, you know, if you look at it, it's going to hit anything. Its AC is reasonably low, but that's because it has nearly a thousand hit points. So it kind of doesn't care. It, It also does fun things like it'll crit on an 18 to 20 because it wants to. And it does triple damage on a crit because it wants to. The couple things in here that are really interesting and unique, the carapace. This is the thing that I looked at this and went, oh my God, I want to use this in some fight and then was sad I never got to. Their wording on this so that they can have some kind of justification is hilarious. The Tarasks armor-like carapace is exceptionally tough and highly reflective, deflecting all rays, lines, cones, and even magic missile spells. Any spell you target at it just has a 30% chance to bounce, basically. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen. And you check for the reflection before you roll against spell resistance. So it's just a 30% chance to not be affected by practically anything, not single target spell. And then you have to get through its spell resistance, which is also high. But the important thing, and my favorite thing here, in 3.x, there was this concept of regeneration. It was like fast healing, where you heal yourself a certain amount every single turn. But the important thing about regeneration is that with regeneration, except for generally one or two damage types that were explicitly called out, You took all damage as non-lethal damage. There was some more mechanics, but basically you couldn't ever kill something with regeneration unless you had the exact damage type you needed to overcome it. You could only knock it unconscious and then it would keep healing. The Tarrasque has regeneration, and the thing that you can use to negate its regeneration is, just kidding, you can't. You can only ever knock it to sleep. (laughs) And then you need to cast Wish, literally Wish or Miracle, a ninth level spell. While it is asleep, you have to wish it that it stay dead. And that's it. That's the only way to kill it. You just got to deal with it. And oh, also, just because why not? If you were flying, it would just burrow because it has a burrow speed. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, and once per minute. Or no, I'm sorry. That's the rush. I'm thinking of a different burrow. Once per minute, it will just run at 150 feet and around. Just, you know, casually travel like 30 miles an hour to catch up to you. And then, you know, other generic kaiju things like eating people and being scary. But yeah, that That carapace and the regeneration, that was really the stuff that worked together to make this thing so truly terrifying. When I'm I'm reading now, so even story-wise, right, if if it loses a limb, it grows that limb back in 1d6 minutes. Yep. Yeah. You you largely didn't kill this thing unless you were gearing up to kill the Tarrasque specifically. Which, okay, so talking about having Wish or Miracle available to you. So in in 3rd edition, at what level would a spellcaster have Wish or Miracle available to them? Same as 5th edition, 17. Okay. If, they're, if they have straight classed wizard or cleric, which, so by the way, bards were two thirds casters. Bards did not get there. Druids also don't get there. So you specifically needed a sorcerer or wizard or a cleric to straight class. And that was a lot less common in third edition because of prestige classes. And a lot of prestige classes would penalize you some of your casting levels if you were trying to do something. If you wanted to focus on abjuration, 
maybe be an initiate of the Sevenfold Veils, that could take up some of your spellcasting levels to get you other cool abilities, which a lot of characters want. The prestige classes were very powerful, but it would mean that, you know, maybe you don't get access to Wish or Miracle ever. And so you just like, oh, it's the Thrask. I guess I'll leave because I can't win. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm going to go hide in a hole now. See if I can find some Mind Flayers to camp out with. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it, that or find magic items. So so how did how did that stat sheet change? Like, has it, you know, is the Trask ever stronger now? Okay. Yes and no. So I'm I'm going to take a quick dip back into into Pathfinder World because I want to touch on the cool stuff that Paizo did with the Trask. So Trask CR20 in third edition and 3-5 has regeneration, all those things. Really hard to kill. Fatal weakness of the Trask. It can't really jump. It can't fly. So all you have to do is be about 30 feet off the ground and chase it. And eventually you'll kill it. Basically, you put your party on a flying carpet and you just stay slightly out of range and shoot at it until it dies or burrows or you get clever. Anyway, Pathfinder solved that by giving it a ranged attack, which feels a little bit like cheating. So if you've looked at the Manticore's stats, they have tail spikes that they can snap at people as a ranged weapon. They just put that on the Trask. It works. They also raised the CR to 25. Not that it needed it, but you know. You can no longer just cheat by flying. So now suddenly it's an actual threat to a high-level party. So actually, I want, I want to ask you about this. You were saying that you could just fly behind it and kind of, you know, pew pew with, you know, I assume magical arrows or, or whatever your ranged weapon of choice are because non-magical piercing, bludgeoning, and slashing have no effect. Yeah. When I, when I was studying up to, to have this conversation, I found on like the Forgotten Realms wiki this idea that there was like a cone of suck around the Tarrasque such that creatures couldn't fly above a certain height. Was that something written in or is this something that like folks have added to the lore to actually make this make sense? Like, is that a, a homebrew rule that... Well, there's the, uh, the flight ceiling that Random put on me. <laughs> That's a different story. Honestly, I haven't seen that in the mechanics. It's entirely possible that it's in a second edition or first edition. Okay, that would make sense. I'm just not familiar with those rules. Yeah, it, it wasn't in it wasn't in the fifth edition monster manual, certainly. And that, yeah, it, it definitely got the wheels going. Yes, is something that would make flight less of a problem for the Trask is always the solution for making the Trask more interesting. Second edition Pathfinder didn't really change anything. Basically, just adapted the mechanics. Like, hey, if it if it's not broken, don't fix it. One of my favorite things that we lost in the transition to 5th edition was 3rd edition's regeneration. Regeneration 5th edition is basically just you regain hit points every round and that's that. So like trolls, the Tarrasque, vampires, a lot of stuff, they just regain hit points. Like, yeah, okay, that'll make it really hard to kill a creature unless you kill it quickly, but it can't do weird stuff like, ah, you forgot to set the troll on fire, so the troll's still kicking. And the Tarrasque's weird ability to regrow stuff really quickly was actually the inspiration for a uh, for a third-party setting called Salt in the Wounds, which was kickstarted a few years back. And there's an adaptation for 5th edition and for Pathfinder. But the basic premise is there's some city somewhere that somehow managed to capture the Tarrasque and is just mining it for stuff because it regrows everything in like 1d6 minutes so there's entire industries that are like no my job is just i mine tarrasque marrow and that is all i do all day and it just keeps coming back Ooh, yeah that's so if you're willing to eat 
kaiju food. Not not kaiju food, just it's kaiju. We're we're yeah. kaiju food. Good point. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> so the entire setting is I have captured the Hydra and I'm just going to keep chopping off feet and legs and diving in. Like I'm gonna tunnel in and set up yeah, of course. You would literally mine. That's the setting. Oh. Yeah. It solves the food scarcity problem, which is already always an interesting philosophical question to ask. Like Star Trek is like, hey, what do we do in a post-scarcity society? So salt in the wounds is like, okay, there's no food scarcity. Now what happens? Because we've got this kaiju and also we've got wizards and stuff. It's cool. Go check it out. They have some products up on DriveThruRPG. We'll have affiliate links down in the show notes. It is a very interesting premise. Yeah, that is interesting. So let's finally get to the meat of things and let's talk about what happens to the Tarask in 5th edition. If you've played 5th edition for a while, at some point you're going to go in the monster manual and you're going to look at the highest CR creatures in there. And right at the top of the list is the Tarask at CR 30. It was 20 in 3rd edition. It was 25 in Pathfinder. It's 30 in 5th edition. Which actually, it would be worthwhile for folks at home, CR rating, challenge rating. How is that supposed to scale? How are we supposed to think about a 20 versus a 25 versus a 30? Great question. So character levels run from 1 to 20 and always have in Dungeons and Dragons, basically. So a monster will have what's called a challenge rating, which is a rough estimate of how powerful it is. A party of adventurers of about four people is expected to be challenged in a fight by a creature of the same challenge rating. So let's say if I had four level 10 adventurers, a challenge rating 10 monster is usually a good challenge for them. Adventurers go up to level 20 and they're like that is as high as you can get. And then the Tarasque is all the way up there at CR. Okay, so for even if we have our level 20 adventurers, you know, decked out with all the best equipment, the idea of a level 30 is that this is beyond challenging. Yeah. And so either you need to bring additional adventures, which is going to, to scale this correctly. Okay. Yeah. Well, 30 is a big number. That's a big jump. And to put it bluntly, it's a little overrated. I won't tell the Taras that. <laughs> oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200. 
so this was kind of a problem in third edition, but it's way worse in fifth edition. If you can be above the Tarrasque just a little bit, it cannot hurt you. And all you have to do is follow it around with enough with a bow and enough arrows and you can kill it. And you can do this at any level. It will still take damage from non-magical weapons. It has resistance, not immunity. Nope, that's actual immunity. Is it? Yep. Have I gotten this wrong? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for at it right several here. Years. Oh, no. But uh, with that said, I mean, a first level cleric or maybe a third level cleric can basically just enchant your weapon and for an hour you can shoot your bow at the Tarrasque, which accomplishes the same thing. That's true. Um, just take shifts napping in whatever flying carpet that you're using. And let's skip straight to the cleric. Okay, we have a level one Aarakocra cleric with sacred flame. If you look at reflective carapace, it notably doesn't affect things that allow a reflex save. So fireball, sacred flame, all those things. And it has a plus zero bonus on reflex saves. Also, notably absent from previous editions, the Trask no longer has regeneration. So you can turn a fight with the Trask into the slowest war of attrition. All you have to do is follow it around and annoy it. It's going to reliably fail those reflex saves. It can't rest to spend hit dice because you're just following it around, annoying it with 1d8 damage per turn. It can't jump more than five feet. Which feels silly. That part's interesting to me because in previous editions, if I look at the PF2E one, which I just closed, I think, one of the ones that I was looking at talks about it explicitly having an enormous like bonus to jump specifically to deal with that, which is why I like that idea of the flight ceiling. There it is. The So the, the first edition Pathfinder one, Powerful Leaper, uses its strength to modify acrobatics made to jump and has a plus 24 racial bonus on acrobatics checks made to jump. So. It's flying after you. It's just doing it, you know, in parabolic fashion. It's the, the falling with style. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Rocksteady is going to jump straight at you. <laughs> that was a Ninja Turtles joke for... Uh, I got it. Sorry, it took me a minute. No, it's good. <laughs> well, okay, and, and so I'm, I'm looking at the, the fifth edition, or we're hopping across editions, but so an, an AC of 25 is a pretty high AC. What's our level one cleric... Casting Sacred Flame, I guess. Is is that against AC or is that a saving throw? Reflex saving throw? It's a deck save. It's a deck, deck save. Okay. It's a dexterity save, yeah. Now, admittedly, it has magic resistance, so it has advantage, which means that mathematically, it's going to hit the 13.5, if I remember how advantage does math right. Roughly. That means that, like, a 50% of the time, it's expected to succeed at your, your Sacred Flame. But that means 50% of the time, it's expected to fail your Sacred Flame you're doing a D8 over two damage every turn. Are you eventually going to make it through the 676 hit points? Yeah, that's, that, that's actually, I'm, I'm, let's like run through this right quick. I think we can do this live and everybody's going to love it. So I'm going to get five hits a minute. Let's do the math this way. So on one turn, you would do, if you hit, you would do a D8 average, which is four and a half. Nine, yeah, four and a half. Yeah. So now we need to cut that in half. So it's two and a quarter. Okay. So 676 over two and a quarter, it's going to take you 300-ish rounds. And 10 rounds is a minute. So 100 is 10 minutes. So it's going to take you half an hour of chasing the Tarrasque, sacred flaming it to death as a single Aarakocra cleric. Okay. And it will be dead. Yep. 
and it has 40 foot land speed so it is slower than an aarakocra and it only has a land speed it can't burrow away anymore it has no tricks all it can do is run okay how cr30 well okay it has legendary resistance so three times a day you're right it will i'm sorry it will take exactly three more rounds or six more rounds if we're being generous with math that's that's all i wanted okay i'll give you that one if you if you can make a a creature spend a legendary resistance to resist a cantrip get yourself a trophy (laughs) yes Uh, okay yeah how how are we gonna save this what are we gonna do So I've had this discussion online a couple of times. And the thing that people usually suggest to me, why doesn't the Tarrasque just throw a rock? And okay, reasonable question. All right. So let's look at this thing's stats some more. It has an intelligence of three, which is as smart as a dog. Okay. Like not a smart dog, like a dog. Like Charles Barkley, if we can reference him again. Not the uh, not the person, my dog, who occasionally appears on everyone's audio feeds. <laughs> he is what I consider a pr- pretty typical intelligence dog, like response to commands, can kind of learn things, knows how to get into the trash. All those good things that dogs do. Could, could Charlie figure out how to throw a rock? No. No, he could I think not. I watched Charlie try to put his head on a pillow the other day and instead he fell off the couch. That... That happened. <laughs> that has happened several times, in fact. Again, typical dog. So there are animals who will throw rocks. Well, not rocks, but objects. Squirrels will famously like drop things from trees to drive away, I assume, predators? I don't know. What do squirrels do? Primates, which generally on the smarter end of animals, primates will frequently like throw, throw rocks and use tools. But that's probably a bit above intelligence three if i remember correctly like apes are listed like five or something like that the trask is dumb as dirt it's not smart enough to throw a rock even if it could i don't know that it would be very good at it yeah okay you could argue plus 10 from the strength but yeah. well, it, it very good at accelerating a rock whether or not it can you know get the release point right to you know <laughs> nolan ryan you straight down the straight through your face is a whole nother I'm again reminded of our infinitely stacked centaurs. So, right, fifth edition, we we talk about the grid and the grid is 2D. This is actually a tall beast. Yeah. Technically, yeah. everything is cubic, although that doesn't come up very often. Technically speaking, a human is a five foot cube as far as D&D is concerned, which as someone who is taller than five feet, I am mildly offended by. But regardless, you know. <laughs> At least you're not wider than five feet, though. Right. Let's, so... <laughs> tiny miracles technically you know is this thing maybe what gargantuan is 20 by 20 so is this thing maybe 20 feet tall we could argue that and you could then argue that the reach applies on top of that but even so if you're going to get all of those attacks i guess actually it doesn't have multi-attack so you really only get to choose once that's right it has multi-attack it it does it's lower left so make everything run away then five attacks, one bite, two with its claws, one with its horns, one with its tail. And if it's already bitten and therefore is grappling in the mouth, it can swallow you instead. There we go. Yeah. So, uh, And that's bad. I, I mean, if you wanted to try and rule three-dimensionally, then I like your idea of a flight ceiling earlier, particularly because as I said, yes, I have had to impose a, impose a flight ceiling in my games because, no, you can't just fly 
a hundred feet above the goblin army and drop alchemist fire and fireballs until they're all dead. That's dumb. Is that dumb from a military standpoint? No, that's an amazing tactic. Everyone should do that. But it also renders the vast majority of content utterly pointless. Look, Pathfinder gave Call Lightning a range of like a mile. What was I going to do? Well, that's what I get for letting you be a druid. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I like the idea of just this thing is so reality warping that it has its own literal gravity. You can't fly. If you're within, I don't know, a mile of it, you can only go 50 feet off the ground and then it can eat you from there or, you know, whatever the case may be. That's that's probably how I would fix it because if you do have to fight this thing on level ground, it is a terror. Yeah. No joke. It will still give you a real hard time no matter how high level you are. Yeah. yeah if, if you fight it as it's meant to be fought, which is that you're not supposed to survive, the likelihood of you surviving is not good. Dramatically reduced. <laughs> yeah. I liked the tail spike. I feel like that makes a lot of sense because even the, the creature would be giving up the multi-attack potentially to use the tail spike or, or maybe as a DM, you just introduce like, yeah, you know, I get six shots and I can aim them as I, as I choose. But I also like even the, the idea that it can jump like that solves most of this, right? Yeah. What's a, what's the range on sacred flame? 60, 60 feet. Yeah. 60 feet. Okay. So you say, sure, I, I can jump that. And here's the, you know, like, I feel like there's a conversation between DM and the players. You can go that route. If it manages to knock your level one cleric out of the sky, that's a long fall. That's true. I mean, so if you just look at the straight damage on its stat block, any attack will outright kill a first level character. It's going to do double your hit points. You just dead. Yeah. Like there's, there's no question there. So, <laughs> yeah. So even if, if you just have the, the threat of any of these things, it, it then becomes something that you actually have to approach at the final level. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200. So I, I guess the, the Trask can be an effective 5e monster. I think there's an interesting conversation. I think probably this is a longer podcast, but the Trask is probably not your BBG. It isn't what you're, you know, this isn't the culmination of a campaign, although it could be where your campaign ends. I, I definitely think like you could have a lot of fun with, because it is mindless, it doesn't really have the character to be a big bad evil guy. 
There's your abbreviation, folks. It is not the thing that is pulling the strings. At least I hope not, because God, Ascension Tarasque is not something I ever want to deal with. <laughs> but, you know, maybe your BBEG summons the Tarasque accidentally or on purpose, or, you know, that's the whole plot is I'm going to unleash this terror on the world. So you could find a way to work that in and work that encounter in. Or there is always, of course, the fun, ah, uh, yes, you dream about a fight with the Tarasque. Let's play it. And you wake up and we carry on without <laughs> consequence. Just if you want to experience the preposterous stat block in that way. Yeah, honestly, that has to be yeah. the that, that has to be the best way to do it. But then if your characters actually are successful, like in the dream, they have prophecy that they're going to find loot. It happens to be under their pillow when they wake up. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. All right. I, I think that was a good conversation, right, folks? Okay. On to the question of the week. I'm going to look, you know, but behind the scenes podcasting, we're going to do A or B? B? B. B. Okay. A, we're going to do you next time. It's going to be great. (laughs) Okay. This question comes to us from Knower85667267 on Twitter. The question is, what are fun weapons to use? Cool. So, so for fifth edition, there's not a ton of variety of in weapons, which is kind of a shame. Some pole arms have some cool stuff like lances. Nets are one of my favorites. They're a huge pain in the butt to make them work. Like, immensely frustrating but when you can make them work real nice that's that's kind of it um, other than that it's just damaged oh well whips yeah reach finesse not a great damage die but you've got reach and finesse what else do you need yeah it, actually i'll it, go, go like talk a little about that a little bit more so we we have our simple weapons and we have finesse weapons what's the advantage of using a finesse weapon so finesse lets you use dexterity for attack and damage which is useful if you want to build around dexterity it's crucial for rogues whips are the only thing that you can sneak attack with using reach but ranged weapons obviously will have more range than reach but you can use a whip and a sheet and that's pretty great nice yeah i mean from an rp standpoint that seems like a lot of fun i guess more generally as dms like are you are you willing to reskin you know instead of a broadsword i have the world's largest meat cleaver and that's going to be you know, I want Cloud Strife Sword. That's what I want. Why stop at a Buster Sword when you can have nine foot long katana if we're going full Final Fantasy no, here? 100%. <clears throat> and speaking of speaking of katanas and reskins, actually, you know, it's it's really interesting to see. Like, like I've talked about in other editions, Fifth Edition does a or other episodes. Fifth Edition does a really good job of being a framework, even in three point five, where we had a staggering array of nearly two pages of weapons. So that the samurai class eventually got introduced. And because there was samurai, we were like, all right, we need rules for a katana and a wakazashi. Well, it's dumb to just introduce another thing when we already have 50 line items of weapons. So a katana is a bastard sword and a wakazashi is a short sword. And there you go. Just call them something else. Even in the crunchiest editions, we're still happy to do that. And I think that in fifth edition, really, you know, as far as what's fun to use, make whatever you want. I will say that the improvised weapon rules are probably way better in this edition than they have been in 3.x. So like, if fun for you is, ah, yes, I'm going to tavern brawl, rip a leg off a stool and beat somebody with it. Or just beat somebody with the whole stool. Or if you're strong enough, beat somebody with the whole bar. Wait, but, wait, but the improvised weapon rules, isn't it just a D4? Improvised weapons in 3.5 were really bad. Okay. Because math was not bounded like it is in 5th edition. In 
you know, if you were swinging a table leg at something with an AC of 30, and, you know, we were just talking about the Tarasque with an AC of 30, an AC, or an AC of 25, an AC of 25 is enormous in 5th edition, right? You're, you're hardly ever going to touch that. In 3.x, an AC of 25 was like, ah, yes, I am a third level fighter. Okay. The, the improvised weapons, one prestige class was good with them, drunken master, uh, a monk prestige class. And everyone else just like, if I hit you with this, I'm probably not going to hit. And even if I do hit, it's going to deal like nothing damage. There, there was a concept of finesse in 3.x. Improvised weapons were never finesse. A lot of times, anyone who had the strength to use an, an improvised weapon was just going to be like, okay, but I have a sword. So why yeah. would I bother? Yeah. RP-wise, like there's there's no point unless for some reason you're not holding your sword or isn't available to you. Right. Exactly. So I, as a DM if in 5th edition, would you push folks to use the improvised weapon rules or would you just push to reskin and say, hey, look, I'm going to give your, you know, instead of giving you a plus one weapon, I'm going to give you your nine foot katana and say you have 10 foot reach. But other than that, it has the stats of a katana. I would definitely push the reskin myself. If this is something that somebody wants long term, if I'm going to have this nine foot katana for a single legendary boss fight squared by Nobuo Uematsu, great. You, you do that and then it's gone and who really cares what the rules are. If you want to keep your your really cool thing forever, then yeah, we should work to figure out like, okay, what is this most like? Then really, you know, make sure that you are having your fun with that weapon because that's the theme of the character, right? You, it, the only really mechanically fun weapon is whips because it's the only thing that has something interesting. And like some of the pole arms, lances, uh, you know, the the thing where you can like attack at range, but then if you're mounted you don't have the disadvantage on things. You can fight one-handed with the while you're mounted, and then any, anything within five feet, you take disadvantage, which it's the only polearm that does that in 5th edition. Yeah, it's weird. So, like, there's not a whole lot of crunch in 5th edition because there's not intended to be a whole lot of crunch. So it, it really just becomes, you know, let's take the thing that is fun and skin it the way I want it. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to push. We need to answer Nowhere 856-7267's question. What are fun weapons to use? Whip. Yeah, mechanically. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna give everybody a chance. Go for it. <laughs> I am a hundred percent. I'm gonna go for the Buster Sword because I'm gonna RP the hell out of that with my scrawny, my scrawny arms and my really tall hair. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, Tyler, what do you got? Yeah, mechanically, it's real weird to hit somebody with a whip, <laughs> but I'm, it's weird to think about hitting someone with a whip. <laughs> mechanically. Very satisfying. <laughs> There's no real fun that I've experienced mechanically with a weapon apart from what we've talked about. However, I'm just going to plug my DM and say, if you're in a low magic setting and you therefore, instead of getting a bunch of magic items, get cr- granted something crafted for you, I have basically used, what if a druid made Mjolnir as a weapon? That was so much fun. Obviously, not something that you're going to you know find laying around, although I recreated it as homebrew in D&D Beyond, so I guess we can technically link it in the show notes. So, there you go. Yeah, we should. Okay. We should do that. I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly reminded you talk about uh, Mjolnir. So, I ran a campaign where I gifted Azeredge in Waterdeep, which was an axe with the spirit of a fella sworn to protect Waterdeep to somebody who maybe wasn't as interested. And so, that was a fun weapon because it had personality and often was very disappointed in the player characters. Uh, and, and I, we were a disappointing character. <laughs> oh, man. 
Sometime we should do an episode talking about sentient items <laughs> across editions. Oh, great idea. Yeah. So I think if, if we're excluding sentient items, we've given great answers. Better than all that might just be whatever sentient item. Because again, Azeredge had the choice. It wouldn't let you pick it up if it disagreed with you. So yeah, uh, nowhere 85667267. Maybe that's the answer to your question. Azeredge or any sentient item. All right. Well, please join us next time on the RPGBot.podcast. We're going to do a crash course in character optimization. I hope everybody goes to RPGBot.net. A lot of the content on RPGBot.net is dedicated to character optimization, but it isn't something we've really dove into on the show yet. So next week's going to be the first opportunity where we're really going to kind of let that shine. Tyler's going to be very excited. And I'm going to be very excited to, to be present and see it. I'm Randall James. You can find me at AmateurJack.com. On Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur. I'm Tyler Kamstra. You can find me online at RPGBot.net. Find me on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET, Facebook.com slash RPGBOTDOTNET. We have an Instagram now. It's also RPGBOTDOTNET. And then finally, Patreon slash RPGBot. And I'm Random Pell. You won't generally find me on social media, although if you look in places where people play games, I'm often there as Harlequin or Harlequint. But mostly you'll find me here contributing to the podcast and the website. Nice. All right. All hail the Leisure Illuminati. Dan, the producer. We got a fist bump. That's all I really wanted. <laughs> you'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. So please do. You can find our podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. And definitely share it with your friends. If you're loving what we're doing, if you know people who you think might enjoy this, or somebody who's maybe new to tabletop and wants to start learning more, I'd like to think that we're good for that. So please share us. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet.